0: Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants some ideas and maybe a little dose of inspiration to help you enjoy your job and raise more money, especially during the pandemic. And dear listener, today we're doing a slightly different show. I'm going to be joined by my associate colleague Louise Morris from Summit Fundraising and she and I are going to be talking about some episodes which we think can particularly help people as we look back on 2021 and we look forward into 2022 so louise morris are you there
1: hi rob thanks for having me
0: thank you ever so much so for the listener what i said to you a couple of weeks ago was louise it would be wonderful if you could choose two or three of the episodes of the podcast from 2021 which you've enjoyed and you know that the fundraisers who you coach and you train and some of the chief execs you help in charities that they've particularly appreciated, I ask you to choose two or three so that our listeners could get a heads up on your ideas. And then also, I want to share two or three of mine from the same point of view, so that we can create an episode that can help people get a few few stories, a few tips, Mm -hmm. and also potentially go out and find the full episode if it's something that suits them. So with that in mind, what's one of them that you've found particularly helpful?
1: Well, my first is episode 62, which is with Davinia Backley, and who is a fundraising leader, and all around her attitude to leadership and fundraising when the pandemic first hit. So in some ways you can think, well, that's a bit out of date, but there was just some brilliant stuff in there that I think whatever fundraising discipline you're at and whatever level you're at, it could really help. And the key thing that I took from this was the intentional kindness that Davinia speaks about.
0: Yeah, a thing I like about it is Become, which is the charity she works for, their fundraising success, if you just look at the numbers, it has been really stunning growth they've achieved in the last two years, including some really extremely generous gifts from, from trusts and the most successful appeal they've ever had in, in the autumn of 2020, but the thing I like about it is most of what Davinia talks about, about how that was achieved, wasn't even the fundraising technique, though there's some really brilliant things they've done, she men- mentions in passing. The, the genius of it is how she helps us understand that how she decided to be the, more, the decision philosophically. For me as a leader, what do I need to be like? And we as a team, how can we be? She just brings that to life beautifully, how that was the most important decision compared to any of the specific fundraising initiatives or decisions. As you listen to that one and that notion of intentional kindness, how did it pan out in actually helping to get the results?
1: Well, one of the things I think is particularly pertinent. You and I talk about it a lot, Rob, because as you say, it's not always the new shiny techniques that work. It's sometimes the basics of fundraising day in, day out, looking after our supporters, but it's not always easy to do. And it's not easy to do in a pandemic and especially in that first lockdown. So hearing Davinia talk about how she was openly more vulnerable with the team when she would normally have. She talks about doubling down. That's being so self-aware that she knew what she was likely to go into, but actually being more vulnerable with the team which then gave them the confidence and encouragement to be picking up the phones to supporters, to key funders um, as well, and actually checking in. So not having that agenda, but that kindness that she was displaying internally for the team actually then... Being reflected externally with donors. And you and I know, Rob, that, you know, the organizations that have spent more time checking in with donors, not just calling when they need money or when they want something, are the ones that build better relationships and they raise more. And yes, that's on the major gift side, but you know, that's also on people giving at any level, shown by you know, thankathons and various things. So For me, it was the way that kind of culture wasn't just about the team internally, but also externally with supporters.
0: Yeah. Beautifully said, Louise. We have seen that pattern. I I know lots of your clients at Summit Fundraising. Absolutely. That's a thing they've been doing really well for the last two years. And so it it flows on. It's it's not hard to see why people have felt appreciated. They've understood the, the difference gifts are making. And of course, then when an extra opportunity to give has come their way, they've been... Generous. And yeah, I totally agree. Listening to Davinia explain how that panned out. Uh, even if it's obvious in a way people are fed back to us that the listening to it ha- has helped you really stick to your, your good instincts on that front.
1: And so, Rob, moving on to one of your favourites. I know this was around gaming and links back to the charity Become as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the ones we've, especially in the last six weeks, I don't know why, but consistently one of the episodes of the podcast that has been listened to most has been the episode 77. In fact, both episodes that we did about gaming fundraising initiatives. And it does flow nicely on because this was an episode created with Will Robinson, who's a colleague of Davinia at Become. And there's a couple of reasons why I love it. One of them is I really got a jolt from talking to Will about just how most charities can't afford to ignore gaming as a really sensible option. It doesn't mean it's going to be the number one thing in the portfolio of every charity. But Will's point to me early on was whatever kind of cause you are, almost certainly some of your supporters game on a regular basis. It's one of their leading hobbies. And he just made the point, not only even before the pandemic was the hobby of video gaming dramatically growing year on year. And then, as you can imagine, during all the lockdowns, it's just gone through the roof. But he was also saying, and that's all demographics. It's not just young men and children who are gaming. Lots and lots of people count gaming as one of their hobbies, and that means your charity has some gamers in its supporter base. And another reason I like it is many larger charities have seen this trend for the last decade, and they've got a something strategic in place to look at it and to raise money with gamers. But I really like Will's example because they are a fairly small organization. And early in the lockdown, they decided to explore whether this could suit their fundraising and their supporter base. And they initiated a a first go at it. And during a weekend, they invited people to raise money for the charity during a particular weekend. Um, it was so successful. They, At the time when I interviewed Will, I think in early 2021, they'd repeated it twice. So across three particular initiatives, they'd raised more than £16,000 and crucially, the 65 people who'd raised the money, none of them had donated to the charity before.
1: Yeah, I love that. And... I also think it's just a real lesson for us. It's so easy to completely generalize our supporters. Like, well, our supporters are older. And I think a lot of us were guilty of that. Certainly I was 10 odd years ago in in social media. Well, you know, my supporters are over 65, so they're not on social media. And I think gaming... It can be very easy to do that as well, particularly if you're a charity that has a traditionally older supporter base. But, you know, my father-in-law is 75 plus and he has a gaming chair. My 10-year-old is so jealous, like all of the kit. If you don't know, you can get these special chairs that kind of like move and, and have all the gadgets on them. So um, I think the episode is just a real reminder of that and also the fact that Will involve some of his gaming supporters in that. And I think that is such a great thing to do if you're doing something for the first time to give yourself confidence, but also it's taking that supporter insight to the next level
0: yes it's a great example of will knowing that he didn't know all the answers but being getting it started and having a go but every step of the way like you say getting help from the community and lots of the key bits of progress he made were were because he opened up in that way and he got help from the gaming community to a help other people who were joining the initiative but also various ways along the you know, strategic things he, he did, like the incentives he used and messaging on the Facebook ads and, and so on. So many of the bits of progress was because he was vulnerable and sought help. So I, I, I love it for that reason as well. And like you say, you're to apply that mindset to a fundraising initiative in, in any, any type of niche, actually. And Then, Louise, in terms of another episode which you really liked, which one would that be?
1: Episode 64 with Angie Carter, who heads up philanthropy at the Children's Trust. I love this for loads of reasons, and we've talked about this. We could do a whole episode about the podcast, which would be a bit meta. But I suppose top of it for me was Angie just really being aware of who the Children's Trust potential major donors are. And I work with so many charities and fundraisers on this. And sometimes we think we need to look elsewhere on the rich lists or out and about for these rich, wealthy philanthropists. And as well as their existing major donors, who they look after very well, Angie and the team wanted to know who of their regular givers and other supporters could potentially give a larger gift. And that absolutely paid dividends because they had one donor who was giving £40 a month who they recognised was high net worth and had the ability to give more. And Angie has this lovely way of talking about bringing major donors closer and giving them the golden nugget, which is what is really special for them, for that individual. And they did it with this donor. So also breaking down silos rather than this person's over here an in individual giving, so we can't speak to them. They gave her some really, really great stewardship. And actually, interestingly, didn't get a lot back, which is also another one of the things we know we hear a lot, Rob, from fundraisers is, well, I'm kind of updating really nicely and I'm not getting anything back from major donors. She didn't get much back until the pandemic hit. And then the donor called and gave a £50,000 gift. And I love it for all of those reasons, for kind of looking closest to home, for really having the confidence that when you update someone on the difference their gift is making, when you're connecting them to that difference, you are not bothering them. And actually, I'm just so glad that, you know, they've got a number of larger gifts in, but particularly this one as well.
0: Yes, that particular episode that Angie created with us, it has been proving popular. And one of the things that people on my Major Gifts Mastery Programme have been really liking about it is the examples she gives about seeking a match funder and how, A, that's an extra reason to talk to one of your existing major donors, but also the the extra hook, the extra motivation some donors can have because of the power to multiply their giving. And I know that's kind of obvious and experienced major donor fundraisers know all about that and are delighted when they've got a match funder. But listening to Angie talk made me want to be that bit more proactive in searching really carefully for someone in our portfolio who might be able to do that. So... If that chimes with any of our listeners, I, I recommend that, that as an extra reason why you might listen to the episode that Angie kindly made for us. Hi, it's Rob, and I wanted to pause the interview for just a moment to let you know about our two flagship mastery programs in major donor fundraising and in corporate partnerships, which start again in April 2022. These six month courses are a combination of masterclasses and one to one coaching with expert coaches such as Louise to help fundraising professionals grow their confidence and their income. To give you a sense of the difference that these programs can make, here's what one fundraiser, Sarah Davies, said about how Major Gifts Mastery helped her. I've just finished Rob Wood's Major Gift Mastering Program and it's been amazing. Um, The last six months of doing this course, I've had the most successful time in my job to date. I've had three or four major breakthroughs, my confidence has increased and it's no coincidence. I know this course has helped massively. Also my colleague who works with me has been doing this course as well and she's had the best six months in her career as well. Again, major breakthroughs and I really encourage you, if you can find the budget with organization to apply for this. If you'd like to find out more go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. For now let's get back to the interview. I decided to stay on the subject of major donors and I took the opportunity to talk to Louise about one of our most popular episodes in 2021 which is one of the ones where she was the guest. The other thing I just wanted to tee up though was the three episodes you've generously made with us, Louise. I mean, you are super experienced as a fundraiser and as a major donor fundraising consultant. And I know you've had a very, very busy couple of years. In particular, episode 73 really sums a lot of it up, actually, because we were talking about this notion of how you offer someone the chance to donate and how seeing it as an offer or an invitation to solve a problem that they care about just feels psychologically different and and frankly, practically different than if you see it as an ask. And I know you've got quite a bit of feedback from people when you explain that anyway on your courses and people you coach and since we created the episode, other people have been coming back to you saying that shift in language and how it affects behaviour, how that's been helpful.
1: Yeah, and it's great to hear. It's something that's tough. You know, I remember in my fundraising roles, walking out of the office to see a very famous philanthropist and people go, oh, make sure you get a big gift. Hope it goes well. You know, that pressure that we put on ourselves and that we can feel, I think, at that to make that ask and from somebody who has a lot of money, can be really tough. And so, yeah, I suppose that the language and also the mindset of feeling more like we're offering the chance to get someone involved is rooted in the psychology of giving in philanthropic psychology, which is giving is good for people. And I know you teach that, you know, is one of the kind of core elements of your mastery programs, Rob, that actually people get a huge amount out of their philanthropy and their giving at any level. And at the higher level as well. And therefore it just shifts that balance of power. So we don't necessarily feel like we're going desperate to hit our target, but actually we're going with the opportunity for somebody to give to something they really care about and to make a difference. And also linked to that, that sometimes if we offer someone the chance to get involved, to give, sometimes the answer is no. And I think that is something as fundraisers that can be really tough to acknowledge. And sometimes when we feel that there is a big ask, in inverted commas, that thought of upsetting someone or them saying no or ruining the relationship because we've asked for too much, all of these things can go around our mind. And it is as simple as some people won't want to give or give at that time and that that is OK, but it doesn't feel simple when we're in roles and you know we're under pressure
0: yeah and again i think quite a lot of fundraisers i work with and you work with and people who listen to this show they get that and they feel it to be self-evident you know they've (laughs) learned very definitely over the years that seeing it that way helps you be a successful fundraiser but their challenge can be not all of their colleagues necessarily see it that way so one of the things that's made me most happy is is when people have fed back that a use of this show is just forwarding it to a colleague, because you know we tell stories, it's, it's not too dry, hopefully, but in listening to our content, it helps people see it more aligned with that philosophy. And therefore, over time, your conversations with your colleagues who might not be professional fundraisers, they might be a chief exec, might be a finance director or whatever role, the using of this show, and for instance, those excellent episodes you created, Can help people tune more in to that way of doing things?
1: Absolutely. So some of the feedback we've had is, oh, I've been telling my chair about this. I've been kind of saying it's not just about the money and we can't go and ask for that big gift straight away. And so it is really nice to get that feedback, isn't it? To know that kind of, we're kind of arming, hopefully arming some fundraisers and people can use it with colleagues and with trustees if they want to. So Rob, moving on, what's another of your favourites from this year?
0: Well, I... one that's been spectacularly popular. Uh it's with Laura Crowdace, and it's episode 76, actually, and it's all about the power of going the extra mile. And Laura explaining how the extra mile is rarely crowded. And her she spent her whole career doing some fabulous disciplined and creative stewardship and thanking and in episode 76 she says examples of just how not only is that the right thing to do but just how powerful that can be in leading to people feeling closer to you trusting you more and of course inevitably often wanting to give more generously so if the listener would love for their team to be more inclined to make time for that and manage to stick to that good intention episode 76 is well worth a listen. But the one I wanted to talk in a a little bit more detail was actually episode 72, which Laura made with me. And that's all about Facebook Lives. And in this era, many charities have needed to be more creative, more brave about ways they can find their audience and add value to their audience and tell stories that help their audience connect to what the charity is about. And there are many ways we've had to try and do that. One in particular is Facebook Lives or Instagram Lives. And Laura is really interesting in episode 72, talking about how charities can do that.
1: And Rob, I know some charities and some fundraisers listening to this They'll feel very confident in this area now, particularly after the pandemic, but others will still be kind of lacking a bit. Is there anything in there that just gives people a bit of confidence to take that step and go into that that realm of Facebook Lives?
0: I think that's one of the things I love about it. The stories that Laura shares, the first two stories are from really small charities. One of them is this fabulous organisation called the Hugs Foundation, which is a wonderful charity in Cornwall that rescues horses and ponies and Uh, Looks after them and rehomes them, as well as using those animals as a wonderful chance to improve well-being and and confidence and so on in children and young people. The story I love from Laura is that charity really struggling early in 2020, thinking if people can't visit the farm, what can we do? And Laura mentoring them and helping them be brave to create a thing which they called the daily hug every single day. When lots of uh, parents up and down the land were doing their best to entertain children and do homeschooling and all the rest of it, Laura and the people at the charity spotted there was an opportunity there to create some lovely, powerful content about animals and nature and so on. So they created this Daily Hug Facebook Live. It was so phenomenally successful that the charity Mind became very interested and and worked with them to continue that daily hug. That's just how powerful this intervention was. And again, that had a really positive effect on helping the Hugs Foundation go on to, to thrive during difficult times. Laura talks about Yorkshire Cat Rescue. And in particular, maybe that was another key nugget was helping our listeners see that there's a power to helping people see behind the curtain, behind the scenes. It's just intriguing. And also hand in hand with that, the way these things don't need to be perfect. They don't have to be slick and everything we're professionally organized. The viewer is okay with the fact that it doesn't all go perfectly, but that, that you're being honest and real. And actually that leading to greater interest, therefore growing audience, and in due course, improve results in fundraising terms as well. So whether you work for charity that's large or small, and whether you've already done this tactic or whether you haven't, but you can see that in 2022, the ability to connect with audiences that you can't meet face-to-face is more important than ever. If you're at all intrigued about that, I really recommend checking out episode 72 with Laura. She tells those stories and some more, and she gives some practical tips. So then, Louise, if I were to ask you for one more episode which you've been recommending onto your contacts and your clients, which would it be?
1: It would be episode 58, which is all about influencing colleagues within your own charity with Ben Swart. And you and I know, Rob, we've talked about this before, that you know fundraising would be so simple if everyone internally just got it and everybody kind of did Maybe what they've been asked to do when it was needed by, but obviously that's not real life. And, you know, I know from a lot of my fundraising roles, I had, you know, some really uh, big frustrations internally. And the really interesting thing for me about this episode is the time that some of those internal barriers take. But how as fundraisers, we have the skills to be able to do that. You know, these are a lot of the skills that we would use externally with funders, with donors, even writing appeals. We'd use these skills all all the time. Yet sometimes when we're short of time and we're under pressure, we kind of forget to use some of those skills internally, whether that's for the finance colleague that maybe doesn't understand the breakdown we need for a trust application or maybe that a trustee who, feels like they're very reluctant, introducing some contacts to the major donor program, whatever it is, and whatever type of fundraising you're in, I think this episode is just crucial. And I know fundraisers will be doing this as part of their role already, but I don't think there's many people in fundraising who can say, yeah, all those internal barriers are fine and everybody's with me and we're all moving in the same direction. If you are um, in that place, you don't need to listen to the episode, but for everyone else, I'd really um, get some tips from Ben in this uh, for 2022.
0: Yes. And I think part of the reason why it can be difficult is many fundraisers understand the need to be really thoughtful and empathetic and understand the situation of any type of donor or or fundraising audience they work with so they work really hard at getting that insight and then putting themselves in that person's shoes and tailoring their channel or their message accordingly and so on but they end up not working quite so hard to do that for internal colleagues especially ones in, in, in teams that are just very different from fundraising because they feel they shouldn't have to because surely any enlightened charity could see that we can't do the work without the money. But I think people get frustrated that colleagues aren't all as fundraising, enlightened or donor friendly as we think they should be. And in that moment of us expecting that they should, but they're not, I think where it starts to go wrong, because in that frustration, we end up not working as hard as we could. And I think Ben addresses that really well in persuasively encouraging us to try and step into the shoes of your colleague whose day job is finance or policy or communications or whatever the way ben explains that helps you see just how essential that is just as you would do that for a donor so louise i always learn so much when i talk to you and today's been no exception thank you so much for making time to share these ideas these bits of advice these stories with our listener i look forward to catching up with you again very very soon for more fundraising in 2022 but for now louise morris Thank you and goodbye.
1: Thanks,
0: Rob. So there you have it. The last episode we recorded in 2021. I do hope you found it helpful and that maybe it gave you an idea for something else to listen to or to share with your team. If you've not already subscribed, please remember to do that today so you can get instant access to all the episodes we talked about as well as lots of new ones that we've got planned for 2022. As always, you can get a summary of today's episode with links to everything we talked about as well as a full transcript from the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. And if you're the leader of a fundraising team, and you'd like to get your team access to a whole library of my best training films, including an excellent one on major donor fundraising that Louise made with me, as well as our weekly workshops and our community, then do check out the Bright Spot Members Club. You can find out more at brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Although at the time I'm publishing this in January 2022, we're not taking on new individual members, we are still able to accept new team memberships. And the various discounts for teams are better than half the price of individual memberships. So if you'd like to find out more about these options, do send me a quick message at events at brightspotfundraising.co.uk. I'd like to say a big thank you to everyone who's been listening to the show this year. And thank you as always for spreading the word and for the kind messages you've been sending me to let me know that you're finding it helpful. Louise and I would love to know what you think about this episode. We're both on LinkedIn. And on Twitter, Louise is at SummitFundraise and I am at Woods underscore Rob. Lastly, good luck with all your fundraising efforts in 2022.